Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus. The Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool. Only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We're always driving to dance lessons. So we signed up for Know Your Drive. We save money and get closer to her dancing dreams. The daring young man on the flying trapeze. Or maybe her singing dreams. Sign up for Know Your Drive and save up to 20%. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. Products not available in every state. Discount terms apply. Visit amfam.com slash knowyourdrive for details. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Greetings, loved ones, and welcome back to another episode of Kaiju Curry House. My name is Alex. It'll just be myself today, as I'm recording during the daytime. And I've got special guest Matthew Meyer, who's over in Japan, hence the time difference. So Paul and Joe, our usual hosts, are busy enjoying the sunshine in the fantastic British weather for as long as it lasts. Um, first of all, Matthew, you were... You were, you were with us uh, 10 months ago when I recorded last summer, and you introduced the topic of yokai. So very briefly, because many people have heard of the term, can you just give us a one-sentence summary, what is yokai? Sure. Yokai are the supernatural creatures and phenomenon that are found in Japanese folklore. Fantastic. Okay, well, springing into our usual pun question, what have kaiju been up to, Matthew? Well, I don't know about uh, kaiju in particular, but I've been I've been watching uh, Westworld recently, and that has been uh, that's that's been a fun watch. It's you know it's not really kaiju direct directly, but uh, it is at least uh, cyberpunk and and therefore slightly Japanese inspired. That sounds good. Tell us the basic premise of that, because I've never watched Westworld. Oh, really? So it was based no. on an old movie that was uh, a cowboy theme park that was con- that was run by. Um, AI robots, and eventually the robots develop sentient and turn against their hosts. So Westworld now, this is the reboot of it, the TV version, and it's in its third season. And in the first two seasons, it was confined to the cowboy theme park and the battle between the human guests and the robot hosts. But now in the third season, the robots have escaped into Earth of, uh, I think it's like 2053 or something. Mm -hmm. And so it it's gone completely from this wild Western show into a very, very cyberpunk, you know, action in the streets of Los Angeles type of show. And it's taken quite an interesting turn. Is it an interesting turn that's still carrying itself or is it a risk of jumping the shark? It was a big turn for the show. And I think they definitely reinvented themselves in a good way. I think going back to the cowboy theme might've been difficult, but I, I would say while it's it's visually and and the and the music are both extremely well done, the story is a little bit hackneyed. I'm kind of getting curious about when we're going to start seeing shows where the AI is not always the enemy. You know, it, it, the typical cyberpunk trope of humans versus AI kind of gets a little bit tired when it's the same thing every time. Fair enough. Um, you get a shot at asking me our pun question. Oh boy. Uh, well, so what have Kaiju been up to for you? <laughs> ah, there we go. Um, okay, well, I'm going to lower the tone to something really culturally devoid. I've been going through pretty much every single Resident Evil game that I can get my hands on because I decided with the arrival of Resident Evil 3 Remake that I would then replay Resident Evil 4 which remains fantastic. Uh-huh. And I've been trying to pick out, are there any true yokai as I go through it? Because one of the topics that I explored recently with uh, Zach Davison when he was on was 
about the idea that there are different Japanese words for certain creatures that, for example, they were always a monster and then ones that have changed from something into something demonic. And one of the big things in the Resident Evil franchise is usually that they've been zombified or they've been given the T virus or the G virus or near enough every single kind of letter of the alphabet (laughs) virus uh, to make them kind of big and monstrous. So it's kind of working out, well, is that a yokai or... Is that just a demonic frog? Is that a large shark? But it, it's nevertheless, it's been good fun. It, it's been a bit of silly escapism. Um, during the day, I've been doing my job remotely. So in that regard, I'm very fortunate to not be directly impacted by COVID other than uh, possibly losing my mind trying to keep my daughter entertained, <laughs> having about 200 why questions a day. So that, that's kind of been my patience tested, but I'm very, very fortunate. Um, Matthew. To get into our topic, can you introduce it for us? Because we speculated a couple of things. Yeah, so um, I want to talk a little bit about a yokai that's been big on Twitter recently. It's called Amabie. And I'll just start before getting too much into it. I'll just go with its story. So during the spring of 1846 in Higo province, which is in present-day Kyushu Island, a glowing body was seen off of the shore. And it appeared night after night, and the villagers there were all really worried about it. Rumors about this strange light traveled, and finally a government official approached the light to see what it was. And in the water there was a creature, covered in scales and fins like a fish. It had a bird-like beak, and it had long hair, which flowed and covered its body. And at the end of its body it had three legs. And this creature was glowing, and it spoke to the government official, and it said, I am called Amabie, and I live in the sea. Starting this year, a rich harvest will continue and will last for six years. However, an epidemic will also spread. Copy my likeness and quickly show it to as many people as you can. So after it delivered its message, the Amabie returned into the sea and it wasn't seen again. And the government official did as he was told. He copied down a picture of the Amabie and it was printed in the newspaper and it was circulated all across the country with the story and the Amabie's message. And so the folklore surrounding this is that if you hang this image in your home, and since this was printed on a newspaper, you know, everybody would have had a copy of it, a cheap copy that they could put up in their home, and, and look at it morning and night, it would prevent you from contracting the illness. So... Uh, this is a common thread in folklore, um, not just the Amabie, but there are a lot of different spirits that have the sort of same format to them. And I'll get into those in a little bit, but uh, before that, I just wanted to talk a little bit about how folklore approaches disease. But if you had any questions in the meantime, feel free to interrupt me at any time. Absolutely. Um, you were saying that like this Amabie, have I said it right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, so this Amabie has been featured, like, it's it's kind of come into prominence a bit more recently. How is it appearing in terms of social media? How is it being used online? Yeah, well, um, so this hashtag Amabie or hashtag Amabie challenge sprung up on Twitter in the very end of February and really sort of picked up steam in March. And it started out just in Japan, where the Japanese yokai crowd was... Uh, you know, passing around the story of Amabie, which is, of course, familiar to yokai fans. And, you know, sharing the image of Amabie on Twitter, you know, sort of just as a reminder of its story and, you know, hopefully as sort of a preventative measure against uh, the coronavirus. And so that picked up steam. And originally, the Japanese government had designed a mascot for the coronavirus prevention campaign. Um, but it was quickly overpowered by the resurgence of this Amabie yokai. And so pretty soon they changed it so the mascot became an Amabie as well. And it just sort of steamrolled from there into the English-speaking world as well, where not only Japanese speakers, but uh, people in all countries were drawing their own Amabie and sharing them on Twitter and other social media. So it, it really sort of became a global phenomenon based on this relatively obscure yokai. And are there any newspapers that have been preserved where we can see the original example of the Amabie? Well, the funny thing is that there's actually only one 
original example of the Amabie. So unlike other yokai, which appear over and over again in different mm. folktales, and there's many different paintings of them, Amabie was actually a really, really minor yokai up until now. Um, in fact, it, it wasn't even thought to be a real yokai. It was thought to be a typo, because the way you write Amabie in Japanese is very similar to Amabiko. And Amabiko was a much more popular version of the same yokai. It looked slightly different, uh, but generally the scholarly consensus was that Amabiko is this main yokai form, and Amabie was just one copy of it that happened to have this typo that caused its name to be pronounced differently. Hmm. But for whatever reason, it it rose to fame, or Amabie rose to fame and became the popular version of it today. Okay, because I know that mistranslations and people incorrectly writing things can lead you down red herrings. Uh, that that can be a common problem. During my undergraduate dissertation, I was looking at arsenic levels in rice. And following on from a previous study that was done in Cambodia, I was having a look to see if there's specific types of rice and how they might absorb arsenic to different levels. And when I went out to one of the village markets to purchase some rice to study it, I was reading off the researcher's notes from last year, and I couldn't track down this specific type of rice. And what it boiled down to, oh, bad choice of words, what it boiled <laughs> down to was that um, the researcher basically spelled it incorrectly. And it was a very common type of rice that when I read it, they were like, what's that? We've never even heard of that. <laughs> and then there were there were other um, market sellers saying, oh, come to me. I'll get that for you. I'll get that. Because they were kind of like latching onto, oh, this guy's really, really set on some special type of rice. If we do something with it and just basically give him an ordinary type, then maybe he'll, <laughs> he'll pay more for it. And it literally was a case of just a misspelling. So it wasted a good couple of days of my research looking for basically just incorrectly spelled rice. So there you go. Um, silly tangent there. Sorry. <laughs> But it got you a good story, and you know, mm. I think whoever misspelled Amabiko got a really good story out of it because now we have the Amabie. So, absolutely, it's funny how that happens. Mm. So, what's the direction that this Amabie is going to take now that we are well and truly kind of into the middle of coronavirus, if not kind of the taping end of the first wave? Well, it's kind of funny because uh, after Amabie sort of exploded on Twitter. A lot of yokai fans were including some of their other favorite uh, Amabie type yokai, if we can sort of classify them as a type. But these are all the all the yokai that appear usually from the sea, appear at night and glow, and then give off a prophecy. And the prophecy is always the same type. It, it's uh, there's going to be a fruitful harvest or you know a bumper crop, and following that there's going to be an epidemic. Mm. And copy my picture and look at my picture and share my picture. And people who see it will be spared from disaster. And there's a there's a ton of these yokai that uh, really sort of exploded in the middle of the 1800s, and so they all started resurging again thanks to Amabe's resurgence. So I'll I'll go over and list a few of them uh, later on as well. Brilliant. Um, just to clarify, is the idea then that you safeguard yourself and your family by copying the Amabe's image? So not a, not by copying it precisely. It's actually just by looking at it. But okay. by copying it, you spread the uh, percentage of people that will actually see it. So sharing it on, on social media would essentially be the same thing. It's funny because it also has a little bit of a uh, so, sort of a reflection of the ring where you, you copy the yes, video. Yes, I was and literally going to come somebody. to that. Yeah, because it's, it's got that kind of um, – yeah, it's what's well, literally that you've said it it's got the vibe of the ring of kind of that you um you protect yourself by passing it on which yeah um, saying out saying it out loud it, it definitely uh strikes strikes that chord with me i, but, I mean uh, it's it's definitely it's a trope. yeah it's a trope but i'm i would put money down that they're not related to each other in any way uh just mm. a, a, a yeah. coincidence for sure yeah okay um moving on to other disease type yokai actually no no first question before that was has amabie featured in any of your books because i know that you've written three now or released uh, yeah. three that's true um amabie was in my most recent book uh the book of the hakutaku mm -hmm. um so uh she it <laughs> yeah it was included in there as one of the uh, one of the handful of aquatic yokai that were in there. Okay. So, uh, if if you are interested in reading about it, you can either visit it yokai.com and look it up, or you can pick up ebooks or paperbacks of my book on Amazon as well. 
Oh, brilliant. What is the Book of Hakutaku about? The Book of the Hakutaku is my third volume of Yokai Encyclopedia. So it's just basically an illustrated encyclopedia of uh, various yokai, just running the gamut from good to evil, land, sea, mm -hmm. air, all sorts of things. So if you just like browsing through books of monsters and folklore, uh, it's my third volume of that. So, Oh, brilliant. And I understand that quite a lot of the content kind of came from your Patreon account because you got good engagement from people kind of commissioning and sort of, well, literally engaging with your work and uh, promoting it. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. A lot of them were requests by people who saw an image and, you know, they sent it to me and said, what's this? And uh, so I did the translations and explanations of them as, uh, along with my own illustration. Brilliant. Tell us some more about disease type yokai. So this, it, it's sort of an interesting logic to it because when you, when you listen to the Amabie story and you think, okay, looking at this picture is supposed to protect me from disease. There's sort of a, huh? How does that work that, that goes on? But, but there's a really interesting uh, old-fashioned logic to it. And that's because before modern medicine, nobody knew what actually caused disease. Uh, you know, of course, it's an invisible vector. Um, you know, usually getting close to somebody who's sick will transfer the disease, but that's not always the case. Uh, for example, cholera was one of the big diseases of the 1900s uh, when all these yokai were popular, and that was spread by contaminated water. So you, you could be with the sick person and you yourself wouldn't get sick. But if you drank the same water as them, you would get sick. So it was very confusing. It wasn't obvious how these things were being spread. And so for the for most of history, the theory was that diseases were caused by yokai, basically by evil spirits. Not not all yokai, but specifically a, a, a category of yokai called yakubyogami, which just means disease spirit. And so these were invisible creatures that would travel from village to village and house to house, and they would uh, they would hide in your house, and they would breathe a, a poisonous gas into the air, and that would cause you to get sick, and then they would move on. And so since these were evil spirits, the way to keep them at bay, people believed, was to either pray and recite the names of Buddhas, or to put up pictures of powerful good spirits that would keep them away. Okay. So there, there is a really interesting logic behind that, because if the Amabie is a very powerful creature sent by the gods, uh, then evil spirits would, of course, be afraid of it. So putting up its picture on your wall is going to keep those Yakubyogami from entering your house. They're going to see the picture and think, oh, this house is protected, and they're going to flee. And that's how it actually protects you from sickness. And sorry if you've already said this earlier, but with the Amabie... Um is it in any way wrathful? Does it attack people? Or is it simply as a warning to other people? It's simply a warning, I believe, or, or maybe even just a, a fear device. Uh, the okay. evil spirits are afraid of it and stay away. It doesn't specifically say in any folklore about them actually attacking or hmm. or doing anything in particular, but who knows? Maybe they do, <laughs> and we just yeah. don't know about it. So it's possibly serving as like a scarecrow for other monsters. That's what I think, so, from the from the folklore, yeah. Mm. Okay. And from the pattern of these stories uh, that all are, are very similar, it is sort of like a scarecrow. Mm. And during the time of this Amabie, were there any prevalent plagues that were happening, like, during that year specifically? Yes, plenty. Um, so the, the mid-1800s were a period of almost like the first wave of globalization. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't even just Japan. It was all around the world. There were epidemics. The biggest one during the 1900s, or sorry, the 1800s was cholera. But there were other epidemics that, that went around and they affected every country. But also, this was uh, when Japan had been experiencing a long period of social isolation from the rest of the world, uh, very, very strict trade controls, and also a lot of economic prosperity. It had centuries of peace and growth, and so it was really quite prosperous. But then, all of a sudden, in the 1800s, these waves and wave after wave of epidemic hit Japan. Um, a lot of them came, especially after trade was opened, uh, 
with the United States and the rest of the world because all these foreign sailors started coming to more ports and bringing their foreign diseases with them. Yes. So did that kind of prompt a sense of isolationism that the, uh, that Japan wanted to kind of be cut off again from the world or was the exposure to other countries welcomed? I don't know about that, in fact, um, although I think there was a sense that it was inevitable that Japan had to open up. Yeah. Um, especially considering the, the fear that the steamships uh, inspired in people when they saw these unimaginable technologies coming rolling into their harbors. So I don't know that there was so much of a desire to close back up as much as a desire to quickly modernize. And catch up with other um, yeah, exactly. of, of global powers. Okay, brilliant. We'll come to our first break and we'll move on to other disease type yokai, if that's okay. Maybe you've got some yep. examples or some stories you can share. Sounds good. Brilliant. Recently on the Heroes Podcast Network, Echo Station. Well, what's the main, uh, think... what's the main planet that Endor... The forest moon of Endor. It's a moon. So it's there's a major planet, obviously, that it... Is the forest moon of Endor? Is Endor the actual planet, then? See, th- isn't that confusing? <laughs> yes. Is it the forest moon of the planet Endor, or is it the forest moon called Endor? Screen heroes. If the MCU gets that, then I really think that Space Jam needs to be part of the DCEU. Yes! Okay, because... they have a big Marvel versus DC crossover where Air Bud takes on Space Jam. Man, we should write for these companies. Uh, It's it's Air Bud versus Bugs Bunny. That's That's what it's all come down to. One-on-one. Yes, done. All right. And then, like, at the end, it's Galactus versus LeBron James. And Squirrel Girl wins. Red shirts and runabouts. Something we've talked about before and other people have, but there's, there's so much of real life history involved with Star Trek from Gene Roddenberry's days, his time in the military as, as on, on a bomber pilot, as a bomber crewman, you know, James Doohan serving all these people and all these real life events that have impacted things. That's very realistic of political and military leaders kind of resigning in protest at a decision they can't control. Subscribe today at heroespodcast.com. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Podcast Addict, and more. Welcome back to Kaiju Curry House. We're in the second part of our interview that is conversational rather than just being a lecture about yokai and specifically disease-based yokai. We're trying to make links to the current COVID epidemic because it thought it'd be good to have something topical that you can kind of get your teeth into. We're releasing episodes weekly at the moment because the hosts have more time at home. Uh, and I wanted to continue our exploration of yokai by bringing Matthew Meyer back. I first interviewed him last summer in one of our first episodes that sparked actually near enough our series of interviews. So it was nice to get Matthew Meyer back then. And he's returned following on from my episode with Zach Davison. So we've been spoiled rotten. And yes, indeed, Joe, I am continuing my agenda to uh, hijack Kaiju with Yokai. I'm um, polluting the waters of our podcast show. Uh, Matthew, tell us some more about disease-based Yokai. Maybe you've got some examples or any stories you can share? Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about disease yokai is that they were originally all invisible evil spirits. You couldn't see them at all. They were um, they were kind of ghosts that would wander around and travel on the wind. But uh, as their stories began to spread, uh, and especially as the invention of you know beautiful multicolored printing presses in Japan became really popular, uh, illustrated newspaper stories became really big. And so there was a need to illustrate these stories in a way that uh, would be very entertaining. So so people came up with bodies and forms for these originally invisible spirits. Um, so in the case of disease spirits, one of the most uh, entertaining versions, I thought, was one called Korori. And the name sounds like cholera. In in Japanese, the when cholera was new, it was called korori. Uh, that was just sort of how they heard it from the sailors who who brought it to them on boats. And so, korori can be written with the characters tiger, wolf, and tanuki, so three animals. So some artist came up with the idea to 
draw the korori disease with an animal that looks like a combination of a tiger, a wolf, and a tanuki. So it's this big pot-bellied tiger-like creature with a wolf's head who's breathing out cholera gas on people and causing them to get sick. What's interesting about that is that um, during the Black Death across Europe, the the British people, through superstition, believed that it was miasma that was causing right. yeah the bubonic uh, plague, and it's it seems to be kind of the reoccurrence throughout time that when there's a plague, it must be something wrong with the air. That's right. And yeah, I think that even more so during the Industrial Revolution, because you're looking around and people are coughing, and there is fumes in the air because of all of the industrial works, but whilst there's a correlation, it's not the causation. You know, they've, they've got it wrong. You know, yeah, people exactly. have di- diarrheal diseases. Oh, it must be the pollution. It must be something wrong with the air. The air's bad. Well, the air is bad, but that, that's not the problem. It's that you're all living yeah. in close proximity and you're getting, you know, disease. It's an interesting attempt at a scientific explanation, but they just they just missed it by a little bit, yeah. Exactly that, yeah. Other um, disease-based yokai, if you have any for us. Sure, there's there's actually a lot of them. Uh, you mm. can find a lot of them in my books and on yokai.com. But for example, um, Kaze no Kami, which mm-hmm. literally means uh, disease spirit also, just like Yakubu Gyami. Um, so Kaze no Kami was this sort of ape-like creature that flew on the wind and he would also breathe his yellow miasma onto people and cause them to get sick. You've got Yonaki Baba, who is this old hag, old woman who wanders the streets at night, hanging outside of people's houses and crying and crying. And uh, if she hangs outside of your house all night, the people inside will also get sick. Okay. So she's the cause of people getting sick, the fact that she's hanging outside. She's the cause, and she's also attracted to sick houses, and, and she comes to them too. So there's sort of a uh, a cause and effect happening simultaneously there. Hmm. Um, but again, doesn't uh, Japan have a, like a history of during a time of famine that people would sadly kill off the oldest members of their family in order to kind of save on food? So is that maybe a way of kind of explaining terrible kind of tragedies that have fallen upon families maybe if they're sick it's because they're starving and maybe I, I'm, I'm clutching at straws here but i'm just it's interesting <laughs> that it's, it's an old woman hanging outside a sick family well there is a lot of that in japanese folklore um there there was the sad situation where uh starving families might you know piggyback their grandmother or their you know their mother out into the forest and just drop her off there to die because yeah. they had no choice or mm. you know to to kill the the youngest newborn yeah. child um i'm sure that happened in all countries around the well, world well it was um it was prevalent in scandinavia i know that one of the themes covered in the uh, the horror film midsummer um that 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 kind of quite graphically and horrifically looks at the the killing of the elderly kind of to save numbers yeah. Uh, but I, but again, I'm going on a tangent there. What's what's your favorite disease yokai, if you have one? Like, like nice and miserable topic. <laughs> well, I would say uh, aside from the korori, which I just mentioned, and, and I like quite a bit. There's one mm. called uh, keukegen, which his name means uh, sort of strange and unseen thing. And this one was actually invented by an artist named Toriyama Sekien. So it's not really a folkloric spirit. It's more of a, uh, just a, in, invented by an artist as a pun. But it is this moldy, wet dog-like creature that mm-hmm. uh, hides in your shadows or lives under your floorboards and just scurries about your house. And uh, he brings sickness and disease to the people who live in the house. But his appearance is really just really, really amusing. One of my favourite yokai, who unfortunately I can't remember the name of, it's, I think it's the second page of your first book, The Night Parade of a Hundred Demons, and it's straight after the kappa, and you've got these sort of like ape-like figures that have appeared in someone's plantation, and they're attracted to eggplants, I think, by the looks of it. But the big thing is that they bring slime and they're disgusting, and I noticed that if if you're horrified or shocked by them that will potentially kind of bring sickness to your family. Have I got any of that right? Does that ring a bell? Yeah, that's right. That's uh, Those are called hyosube. 
Yeah. And they are sort of related to Kappa and uh, they're disgusting little creatures. And if, it's, if you it's scream isn't it? the sound or if they you, make. That's right, yeah. Mm. If, if you scream or, or somehow react unpleasantly to seeing them, mm. uh, they will curse you. And sometimes that's by making you turn purple, almost like the, the girl in Willy Wonka. Yeah. Mm. Or just or the, by. Uh, or the aubergines that they're going for. That, exactly, that's right. Yep. Mm. Okay, cool. Um, moving on, the fourth topic that you suggested, can you uh, bring us into that, Matthew? Yeah, so this sort of reflects what I was talking earlier about the Amabie and how there's many, many different types of this yokai. Um, Amabie is just a, a very, very minor one of these, but these are all prophetic yokai that, that appear, they give a prophecy, usually about a bumper crop followed by a plague. And this is a pattern that we've seen for hundreds of years. Uh, so one of the earliest ones, I'm, I'm sure it's not the earliest, but one of the earliest ones that I've at least come across uh, occurred in 1669. So this is way before the big boom of the late 1800s. But in 1669, uh, in uh, what is now Niigata Prefecture, this strange light was seen on the shore and they went out to investigate it, and there was this turtle with a woman's head. And she introduced herself as Kameona, which means turtle woman. And other than that, it's basically the same story. She said, there's going to be a disease coming. You should draw my picture and spread it around to protect yourselves. Everyone who looks at my picture will be saved from the disease. And then in 1819, we've got a similar uh, another repetition of this story where a creature called Jinjahime came out of the sea in near Nagasaki or Saga Prefecture today. And she looked like – have you ever seen an oarfish? They're the these oar? really, really long fish. Yeah, it's called an oarfish. Okay. Where do they swim? They live in the Pacific and they usually okay. live deep – like in very deep water, and they have these incredibly long bodies. They look like ribbons almost. Ooh. Okay. And so this Jinjahime looks like an oarfish with a woman's face. Mm-hmm. And she came out of the water and she said, I'm a messenger from the dragon king of the sea, and I come to warn you of a coming plague. Mm. You should draw my picture to be saved from the plague. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is that the, the oarfish – uh, its Japanese name is Ryugunotsukai, which literally means messenger from the dragon king of the sea. So that well, fish nice was, and clear. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's no that confusion. Yeah, fish was named after this legend, probably. Mm. I think what's interesting, again, drawing links to other parts of the world, if you think back to Old Testament um, during Pesach, when the the blood was painted on the front door to protect the firstborn as the Israelites ran away from... Um, well, from Egypt. It's that kind of sense of warning and also, you know, drawing a picture of the monster. It's kind of a way of saying, you know, I'm clued in, I know what's going on and we're going to keep ourselves safe. It's, it's a, the spreading of a message in the absence of what we have now, which obviously is social media. And the hashtag does seem to be a continuation of that, which is, which is nice. Yes. Yeah. I've always found it interesting that, um, you know, these, uh, prophetic yokai stories are just such a almost like a positive message it's it's not a threat it's not like mm. you had better do this or else something bad will happen to you it's do this and something good will happen to you yeah so I, i've always found that it's sort of an interesting reversal of a lot of folk tales where it's a cautionary tale or a you know mm. a don't do this this is actually a, a do this it, it is almost like a very very early meme where, yes. you know, sh- share this and something good will happen to you, which is what we mm. see in our emails all the time today. But this is happening centuries ago on a printing press. But I guess many yokai, even the ones that are dangerous to people, could be used in a cautionary way. Presumably, um, the idea of Kappa, like living in the waters, I would imagine that's a good way of parents saying to their children, look, don't go and swim in the deep air, the deep water, because, you know, a capper will get you. When Absolutely, yeah. In simple terms, Lots of yokai you'll, you'll are, are exactly that type. Yeah, you know. Don't um, go out in the forest because there's tengu there, and, and don't hmm. play near the river because a kappa will get you. Those are very, yeah. very um, classic examples of, of yokai hmm. being used as cautionary tales. 
And again, whilst I'm clutching at straws on a topic that I don't know a lot about, I wouldn't be surprised if um, Scandinavian folklore around trolls under bridges, there'll be a certain amount of kind of, you know, well, don't, don't go and dangle your head off a bridge because you might fall over and break your neck. Or no, don't go and play under the bridge because you don't know what's there. There, there could be, um, there could be dogs that are kind of, that, that, you know, have a den there that could bite you. There could be something that's dangerous. So yeah, yep. there, there's trolls. It's just keep away, don't go near it and you'll be safe. Yeah, you know, don't cross the bridge outside of the village and, and where there's dangers lurking. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's beyond our boundary. And actually, the, there are other villages that we're at war with that won't won't take kindly to you going there. Exactly, yep. I, I mean, um, yeah, just, just looking at those dates you provided, from 1669 right through to 1876, and as you're saying, there's probably many, many others. I'm guessing that they'd all coincide with something happening at the time, be it a plague that had kind of travelled across Japan and any of the surrounding countries, do you think? Yeah, they do. Um, I haven't actually date-checked every single mm. one of them, but I, I have checked on a few of them, and they do uh, coincide with uh, with epidemics that struck Japan. Mm-hmm. Although, of course, I would I would probably guess it's a safe wager that during these epidemics is when these stories were actually passed around. Um, for example, the... the uh, one of the examples up there in 1857 in December, a a crow with two heads, one of them white and one of them black, was spotted in uh, Mount Haku in Ishikawa Prefecture, and the the crow told people, "Draw my image and share me amongst people because there is a plague coming and my image will protect them." But that story wasn't published until the following summer in 1858. And that was at the height of a terrible cholera epidemic that was killing 30 to 50 people every day. Yeah. So even though the story says it happened in 1857, it's very, very easy after the fact to say, oh, yeah, last year this bird came and told me to draw its picture. So here's the picture, everybody. Spread it around. Yeah. So is so much of yokai culture rooted in superstition then? It's probably a dumb question. I mean, absolutely. Um not necessarily uh, something as tangible as a as a disease like this. There is certainly, uh, you know, a mystery noise will have mm. spawned, um, you know, the, a legend of some creature out in the woods. But essentially, the 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 core of what yokai folklore is is that unknown bit. You know, people didn't know what was causing sickness, or people didn't know what lived out in the woods. Mm. People didn't know, um, you know, what was in that cave, and so they invented a story for it. And so that makes these type of prophecy yokai really touching that that core of what yokai of what a yokai is. It's that it's that unknown, that mystery. So building on what you're saying, I know that your books are encyclopedic, but are there any films out there that maybe our listeners could check out uh, in Japan specifically that have kind of looked at yokai and maybe even drawn links to play, uh, plagues and disease, or has it been an untouched topic? Well, yokai, of course, are very popular here in Japan, um, and so there's lots of films that either draw inspiration from yokai or even just are about yokai directly. Um, but anytime someone asks me for a yokai movie recommendation, I always go back to um, the – let's see what their English name is. I think it, in English it's called 100 Monsters, Yokai yes. Wars, 100 Monsters. Um, uh, by, it's, it's from da, 1968. Da, Yes, the Daiei Corporation's yeah. yokai. Uh, who did Gamera. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's right. Mm. They they have a lot of links to the, the whole Tokusatsu uh, yeah. groups there. But uh, yeah, so it, it's, a, um, it's a 1968 show, so it's dated, of course, but yeah. I think that adds to the charm. Um, yeah. If... There have been more modern ones. There's a there's a 2005 movie called The Great Yokai War, which uh, uses some some CG and as well as uh, special effects to create yokai, and that's a, a pretty fun one to watch too. But I I prefer the 1968 one. I feel like it it just really really captures a lot of the the silliness of yokai. You know, people will say it's a children's movie, but I also think part of these stories, you know, folk tales, a lot of them are for children or at least for either for scaring children or teaching them a lesson or just for adults to share with them too, with yeah. themselves. So well, I think look- the, the, yeah, the older movie sort of uh, captures that whole gamut of, 
of sensibilities. I mean, they're cautionary in themselves because it's it's a while since I saw the film, and you can actually watch the entire thing on YouTube. It's um, because they're so old, I think, and also because the production studio went out of business. They're quite easy to oh. watch now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when I watched um, One Hundred Monsters, what struck me was that you know there's a bunch of very aggressive samurai that arrive who are effectively thugs and they're trying to take the village away and they're yep. the ones that have the comeuppance. And whilst yes. the yokai are terrorising the village and everyone's frightened, the people that are targeted are the bad men. And, uh, right. for example, you've got the, I'm going to pronounce it badly, the Rokurukubi, the, the long-necked woman. Mm-hmm. I, I got, how do I pronounce that? I'm sorry, I've done a bad job. Rokurukubi. Yeah, yeah, I butchered it. Um, but <laughs> he, um, sorry, she goes for the husband who it's kind of hinted that he's abusive and cheating on her. And you know, she kind of scares him to death. And whilst he's not one of the thugs that attacks, he's one of kind of that group of bad characters. And it's very much that the yokai save the village. Yeah, so even though they're they're quite creepy, and I think if I were a kid watching that movie, I I might be terrified by the by the mm. really grotesque costumes that they have there. Yeah, in the end, the yokai are the good guys in that, and I think that reflects their status as how how beloved they are in Japan. You know, even though they're they're creepy and they're scary, they are they are just charming yeah. and beloved as as weird as and and as uh, bad as they can be. One of the characters in that um, first film, because there's three, um, is a youngish um, man, I think in early 20s. And again, you know, please, um, you know, content warning, take it within the context of the 60s. Um, it's certainly not very subtly implied that the character has learning difficulties and he's portrayed as being a bit, in inverted commas, simple. And one of yes. the yokai that kind of uh, appears to him is that umbrella yokai with the, the long tongue and the big googly eyes. And, yep. you know, it's, it's playful. It's certainly shown that kind of this yokai comes along to frighten the bad men who attack and are a risk to this young man. But whilst they're being scared off by the yokai, he's playing with this umbrella and having the time of his life. So it's quite endearing in that regard. Yeah, the the movie does a really good job of capturing one of the things about yokai that I really like, is that they're not so one-dimensional. They're not just Mm. bad spirits. They have their own sense of honor and propriety and and they really sort of are a, a reflection of human society so there are wicked nasty ones but they're not always wicked and nasty they'll do good things to good people when they want to and there are yokai that are entirely peaceful and friendly and just look creepy yeah i mean um thinking back to when i uh, first read your book um i know that another example of kind of a far less than one-dimensional yokai would be the entire kind of category of is it tengu um and i know that you have the crow tengu who when i uh, read about them that they're, they're pretty horrible you know that they yeah yeah <laughs> they, they snatch babies and eat them and you know lead them on branches wailing and yeah they um, tie people to trees and force feed them feces until they go insane yeah so that they're, they're absolutely evil and yet there are Tengu um, that you've described as being sort of um, almost like deities that are higher beings that you know can teach samurai uh, swordsmanship, and they, right. they, they they sit under waterfalls and meditate. And it's like, well, hang on a second, is this the same yokai? Well, maybe, maybe not. It's almost as if like you know, this isn't its final form. You know, it's evolved. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're they're very well-rounded characters, and uh, part of that is just the reflection of how storytelling changed over the centuries. And since mm. Tengu are one of the oldest types of characters, the the stories from a thousand years ago are quite different from the stories from three hundred yeah. years ago. And that will presumably reflect kind of the, the changing attitudes towards religion and the um, not the clergy. That's the wrong word for it, but um, monks and their religious practices. I know that um, again from reading your book that. Uh, certain, well, there's this whole groups of um, yokai that are monks, and very few of them are shown in a good way. 
It's, <laughs> the, right. it's like it's a, you know, a giant monk that eats people. There's monks that pull faces at women on toilets. There's that's monks right. that appear and sink ships. And it's like, great, you know, you're really painting Buddhism in a nice light. But I'm, presumably someone had a pretty heavy political agenda at that time, I would have thought. Yeah, there was there was definitely a you know there was government censorship, so it wasn't possible to directly criticize certain institutions, but it was possible to invent uh, monk yokai that that poked fun at all of the um, yeah. the what's the word you know the the uh, oh man my English well, it's, is failing me it's satirical though isn't it yeah it's very satirical you know that they're a monk you know they they depict monks going to brothels and yeah. Mm-hmm. And things like that, doing very unmonk-like things. Yeah, um, you know, it's kind of like even today. Occasionally, you'll see um, social media complaints about monks driving sports cars. Yes, and you know, just pointing out the irony of, oh, aren't you supposed to be a, a poor yeah. mendicant here? And, and um, uh, monks should be pious. Here's, here's the hypocrisy. Yep, mm. that was the word I was looking for. Hypocrisy. Yes. Okay, My well, English let's... skills have faltered over the years. I was going to say, actually, um, what is your default language? Uh, I know that you're from America, but do do you sort of routinely use uh, Japanese to the point of ignoring English, or do you flutter between the two interchangeably? I do flutter between the two quite a bit. Um, the the part I, of Japan I live in is very rural, so outside of my own house, I don't speak any English. Okay. And in my in my house, I try to speak as much as possible to to help my wife keep her English up. <laughs> yeah, no, that that makes sense. I had a friend who um, was from England, but she'd moved out to South Korea um, through my Taekwondo club, and she'd married um, a South Korean gentleman. And she said that she was she knew that she'd swapped languages when she started to dream in um in korean and she'd occasionally wake up and go ah okay then she'd be talking to herself in korean rather than english (laughs) she's like ah yeah okay yeah My, my language is definitely swapped right let's take our second break me 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 but also you the pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film powder donut Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Whatever you're funny, Peacock's got it exclusively. Stream classic sitcoms like The Office, Parks and Recreation, and Two and a Half Men. Plus, catch Peacock original comedies like AP Bio and Say by the Bell. For all your exclusive comedy faves, go to PeacockTV.com and get started. Welcome back to Kaiju Curry House. That's all, folks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay. Um, good grief, I'll edit that. Sorry, I've stumbled now. Um, Matt, we have... Is it Matt or Matthew? Matt is fine, or okay. Matthew. I, I'm actually not... <laughs> I don't have a preference. You don't have but... a preference. Okay. I go by Matt in Japan because it's easier to pronounce. Okay, no problem. So, um, Matt, having worked through various yokai, are there any that you could suggest to our listeners that they could go and search out? Because with um, Japanese being a language that you're fluent in, there'll be a couple of times when you've said a word and I've thought, sorry, what was that? So if there's any that you could maybe recommend, two or three, and you could spell them out for our listeners, that could be nice. Sure. Specifically specifically related to this topic. Well, you can see them on uh, yokai.com, since I've done a lot of these as well. So I'll just go through a few of the ones that I would recommend. Uh, Of course, the first one I mentioned, Amabie, which is Mm -hmm. spelled A-M-A-B-I-E. And you can find her on yokai.com. I also mentioned uh, the Jinja Hime, the, the oarfish type yokai. And so her name is J-I-N-J-A-H-I-M-E, Jinja Hime. That's brilliant. And another great prophetic yokai to look up is named Kudan, K-U-D-A-N. Perfect. Well, thank you for that. Um, what I was going to ask was, with reference to your books, what are the projects for the future? So I've done three books up, mm-hmm. uh, by now, and I am currently working on a fourth book. A lot of this has been um, decided by what my 
Patreon backers have requested me to do. But also, with each of my books, I try to keep it to a general theme mm-hmm. throughout Japanese folklore. Usually, I, I take the name from a particular phenomenon in folklore. So um, my first book was called The Night Parade of 100 Demons, and that is based on an event in Japanese folklore called The Night Be- the Night Parade of 100 Demons, in which all of the yokai and all of the evil spirits and ghosts and things gather together in the streets and sort of have a, a festival or a, a nighttime parade, which they, they wander through the streets and anybody who sees them dies. Oh, right. So there's no, uh, there's no uh, gate crashing. You can't join in. Well, you could try, but <laughs> wow, you would okay. either lose your mind or you would, you yeah. would not live to tell about it. Mm. Okay. And my second book is called um, The Hour of Meeting Evil Spirits. And that specifically refers to the time just between when the sun has set, but it's still light outside. So that, that twilight hour. Yeah. Um, it, it's almost like the Japanese equivalent of the twilight zone. You know, at that time, it's dark enough that you can't make out people's faces, but it's light enough that you can still see people walking around the streets. And you also have to imagine that in the context of a pre-electricity society, where that was the last time you could see anything during the day before you had to go home. And so that was the time when you would meet evil spirits, the hour of meeting evil spirits. That was when an, a faceless creature might come out of the shadows and, and get you because you thought it was a person approaching you. So presumably that's the point in which um, the veil between our world and the our, and the world of the spirits is thinnest. Is that right? When they cross over? That's right. That's when it's it's very easy to accidentally walk into the forest and suddenly you find yourself in the magical yokai world and you're trapped there. Yeah. Again, coming back and, to the cautionary point of don't don't go wandering, especially when it gets dark, because you'll get lost. Yeah, exactly. And and that was, you know, since that was the hour of meeting evil spirits, that was the time where you had better get yourself home. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and one of the following pages from that refers to the, the dead of night, um, like sort of 3, 4 a.m., doesn't it? Where is, is Yeah, the deepest, the darkest night when after the moon has set and, and it's completely dark. And, and that's when the, the evil spirits are sort of at their at their most powerful. Mm. And that is also when uh, when people would perform the forbidden shrine visit at the hour of the ox, where you could go to a shrine and nail a doll to a tree and curse your ex-lovers. Uh, it's a very famous Ooh. piece of folklore. Just just for shits and giggles. That's right. And it's funny, if you visit some uh, some of the older shrines, in especially famous ones in Kyoto, you can actually see very big old trees with nail scars in them from where people have done this, sneaking into shrines past midnight and nailing curses into trees. I've always wanted to go on a holiday to do the the temple tour of um, Shikoku to go around the perimeter because I know yeah, that do that's, the eighty eight uh, temples. Mm, I know that that's like a, a Buddhist hotspot, isn't it? It is, yeah. Uh, and your third book, what's that about? So my third book is called uh, the Book of the Hakutaku, and that refers to a mythical book called the Book of the Hakutaku, which was given to uh, the Emperor of China thousands of years ago and this was a just a scroll that had the names of all of the demons and yokai and information about them so he basically passed on this magical encyclopedia to the emperor and that gave him knowledge of all of the spirits Uh, and the book was lost although um, according to folklore parts of it were copied and they make up some of the ancient chinese and japanese uh, yokai encyclopedias that were very popular during the the Edo period. And is that why in your third book you broadened the geographical remit to include more East Asian uh, monsters? That's right. Yeah, so the so the theme for that book, like I said they each have a particular theme based on those names. And so since the Hakutaku originally came from China, I did include a lot of uh creatures that came from China and India and and different parts of the world but were imported to Japan and still became uniquely Japanese after being mm. brought into the folklore here. And so my my next book is also going to be similarly patterned on a folkloric concept and uh, reflect that theme in at least part of it. Not, not the entire book, but at least a section of the book will be reflecting that theme. And um, Is that a secret? Just, 
it's not it's not a secret, but I'm still working on it, so it's not officially um, announced anywhere. But but I can tell you anyway that the uh, the title of it is going to be something along the lines of the Fox's Wedding. I thought it was that because when I um, got my uh, picture from you a couple of years back, it was a Fox's Wedding. And, That's right. Yep. <laughs> yeah, um, with the all of the foxes in the white robes, um, which is and the um well the betrothed in his um black suit he looks very smart and yes. um what struck me is it's, it's a very somber looking affair mm. so the the idea of a fox's wedding is actually the, the japanese term for a sun shower you know when it's sunny outside and, and it starts to rain at the same time mm. it's called kitsune no yomeri which means the, a fox's wedding so the you know the the story is that uh Whenever you see that happen, somewhere nearby there is a fox holding a, mar- uh, a wedding ceremony. Mm. And I think in India they have a similar idea with a monkey's wedding, if I'm not mistaken. Oh right, I'll have to I'll have to look that up. I, I did not know that. I've been to quite a few where uh, weddings in India because as part of living out there, it's pretty much impossible to avoid weddings because when they happen, <laughs> the entire street takes part. You know. Um, <laughs> contradictory to your parade of a hundred demons if a wedding starts and you're passing by you'll get pulled by some elderly lady being like join in join in dance i I can't dance i don't care you're dancing just move your arms (laughs) well that sounds like a lot of fun (laughs) it's it's great fun yeah and then before you know it you've uh, you've moved a couple of streets down you're still dancing so it's quite nice very participatory um very colorful no, I, I remember getting the Fox's Wedding uh, painting, and similarly, I know that in uh, Pompoko, which I regularly refer to because that was my first exposure to yokai culture, um, that one of the first kind of waves during that Parade of a Hundred Demons, there are these tiny little kitsune, and they're having what looks a bit like a wedding. Yeah, exactly. And there's also in, in Akira Kurosawa's Dreams, there is one of the one of the scenes of that movie is uh, is a fox's wedding and it has this just creepy but also majestic feeling mm. to it that that is really great so um, so that's going to be the the title in some some form of that translation or another of my next book and there is going to be a heavy uh, heavy amount of foxes in it it's not going to be a hundred percent kitsune based yokai mm. but I am I am planning on having a large number of kitsune yokai in that book uh they're they're very popular uh both abroad and in japan and there's just so many stories of individual kitsune and and what they've done that uh it would make an excellent theme for the book in addition to just having a a title that seems to have be have been made for a book i know that the west particularly are kind of very endeared towards the shape-shifting yokai aren't they you know the the kitsune the tanuki and uh, similarly, the uh, the cats. Uh, I think kind all of the animals. Yeah, the cats. Yeah, any of the shape shifting animals. They they capture everyone's hearts. They're they're creepy, but they're cute, uh, and they're evil, but they're still lovable. In ecology, um, they get called charismatic megafauna, which is a very nice <laughs> way of saying it's cute enough that you can build a cuddly toy of it and sell it, therefore preserve it. Or rather, yes. <laughs> con- conservate. It's unfortunately when the beetles are all dying out from extinction, no one gives a toss about them. But you know, uh, the right. polar bears are fine because they're cute and cuddly, and you can get a toy of it. <laughs> it's if it's a plushie, we're fine. Yeah, and that that follows in in uh, artwork as well too. Absolutely, the, yeah. The, the cute and cuddly ones have mm. lasted throughout time, but uh, I'm sure yeah. there are many of weird yokai that have gone forgotten, and uh, the originals have been lost. Yes. I think anything that captures people's imagination, that's generally what's going to stand the test of time, isn't it? Um, Definitely. You know, in the way that like Anubis in Egyptology, for whatever reason, it sounds cool, it looks cool, and people go, right, okay, I'll think of that. And it might be that within Egyptology, it was never as big a deal as people have made out to be. But for whatever reason, just the appearance of it, people go, right, that, I want a picture of that, or I want a figure of that on my mantelpiece. Exactly, yeah. And, and how many ancient gods have gone forgotten, but, but everyone still knows Horus and Anubis and Osiris and those, mm. those animal-faced gods. Yeah. Were there any closing thoughts for our um, episode? Because were there, were there any other topics that you wanted to kind of discuss? Um, well, I just thought it's such an interesting uh, mirror of time that we're looking in right now. You know, uh, even though today we have 
advanced medicine and we have knowledge of how diseases spread and we, we know that social isolation and quarantining is the way to beat this virus, part of us still goes back to these uh, superstitious techniques like sharing Amabie pictures online. And, and part of us is just instantly connects with that type of culture even though it's completely irrational and we know better these days, we're behaving today just like we did, you know, in the, in the 1800s sharing these images. And it's, it's such an interesting parallel. It's more like, you know, even though we, these days we don't believe that uh, yokai have the power to, to cure us or work as uh, supernatural charms, there's still something to cling to when we feel powerless in the face of a, an invisible and deadly threat. Hmm. Can I ask a, a more unusual question? Sure. Do you see yourself as a superstitious person? Uh, no, I I try to be as uh, rational and scientific-minded as, as possible in all things. So hmm. as much as I adore folklore and ghosts, I don't believe that they exist, which sometimes people find that to be very odd because, you know, why, why dedicate your work and your life to... Hmm. to ghosts and monsters that you don't even believe in but to me uh to me they tell a truth about humans rather mm -hmm. than telling a truth about spirits and and i think when you look at the stories we tell you learn more about who we actually are as people hmm. you're interested uh, more in the anthropology perspective of kind of yokai and how it's mirrored kind of the concerns and the trends of the time is that what you're saying Yes, and also I just like a good story. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's, there's nothing so there's, wrong there's with that. two aspects to it. Yeah, there's definitely there's the anthropological and, and social study of it, but there's also just you know sometimes there's a good laugh or a, a good dirty tale hidden in those yokai stories, and it's just a, a yeah. great bit of entertainment. I, I mean, um, so much as I got a bit of a shock when I looked at that yokai with the eye that's um, coming out of its backside. <laughs> um, that's I right. I, I don't think that. I'm going to go out there and, you know, spot one if I ever go to Japan for a, for a trip. You know, it's, um, it'd be a bit of a stretch of the imagination to imagine a butt eye. But there you go. I would certainly hope you don't ever have to see one of those in uh, real life. <laughs> in, indeed, yeah. And what a thought to close on. Uh, tell us a little bit more about this hashtag, because I know that there's been, um, there's been cosplay as well, hasn't there, about the Amabie? There has been, yeah. So I think everybody should uh, should get onto Twitter or, or whatever your favorite social media is. Instagram is also good for this too. And just look up hashtag Amabie. You can search for it in English, A-M-A-B-I-E, or you can search for it in, in Japanese as well, Amabie. But uh, just take a look at all of the, the different images that people are sharing and maybe even share your own because uh, it, it's such an interesting phenomenon that, that, that this, uh, you know, this random creature that that popped up in the in the 1800s has uh suddenly taken you know it, it's sort of been resurrected and yeah mm. and here it is uh just taking over the internet at least for this brief amount of time well thank you for that um are there any films or books that you could recommend that people could search out? What I'll do is I'll put my recommendation out there first so if nothing else I would like you all to check out Matthew Meyer's second book, because it's my favourite, which is The Hour of Meeting Evil Spirits. And actually, my, my favourite section of it is those opening pages. I think it's um, a wonderful set of pros talking about the creepiness of, um, you know, of, well, uh, Sunset. And whilst there are no monsters visible in those pages, you do get a real sense of the eeriness coming through. It's that kind of, a, what is there in the shadows there? So yeah, check out the second book, The Hour of Meeting Evil Spirits, and you can find that. Uh, you have um, ebooks, don't you, on Amazon as well? Yes, I do. Yeah, brilliant. So you can check out the ebooks, or you can also find the paperbacks. They'll probably be in the second edition by now, is it? Um, they're still, yeah, they're in... Let's see. The first one is in its second edition. Yeah. The others are still in, in their first printing. Oh, brilliant. And uh, if nothing else, Matthew, uh, what's your recommendation? My recommendation is to uh, take a look at those hashtags and mm. view Amabie and view Jinjahime and view Kudan and view as many of these good luck yokai as you can because maybe they will protect you from getting the coronavirus. 
Maybe. And, Maybe uh, not. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. You're a man of science, so you don't really believe that. Um, please, That's everyone, right. stay home. Um, and <laughs> yes. View them at home, <laughs> apart from other people. Exactly that. And a challenge to any of our listeners who uh, have an artistic streak, have a go at uh, drawing us in a, a Marbie and hashtagging um, the name of that yokai and ourselves, Kaiju Curry House. And you can find... Um, Matthew on Twitter. Sorry, what's your what's your plug there? Matthew Meyer Art. Brilliant. Or you can find me at yokai.com. Much easier to remember. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I feel like I've learned a lot. And I hope it's Thanks been Thanks for having me. No, it's it's been great. Thank you very much. And I hope it's been an informative episode for our listeners. Um I've certainly learned a great deal. So thank you very much. Take care. Thanks. Thanks for joining us at the Curry House today. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, consider subscribing or giving us a like. And if you want to get in touch, you can do so at UK Kaiju on both Twitter and Facebook. Thanks very much and keep it Kaiju. Here's three great reasons to get the new Samsung Galaxy S21 5G at T-Mobile. One, it's free for both current and new customers when you trade in an eligible device. Two, T-Mobile's the leader in 5G coverage. So, three, you can unleash 5G speeds in more places with your new phone. Get the new Galaxy S21 free at T-Mobile, the leader in 5G coverage. Phone via 24-monthly bill credits plus tax. If you cancel credit, stop and balance on required finance agreement may be due. Contact us. Qualifying credit and consumer plan required. See details at T-Mobile.com. Here's three great reasons to get the new Samsung Galaxy S21 5G at T-Mobile. One, it's free for both current and new customers when you trade in an eligible device. Two, T-Mobile's the leader in 5G coverage. So, three, you can unleash 5G speeds in more places with your new phone. Get the new Galaxy S21 free at T-Mobile, the leader in 5G coverage. Phone via 24-monthly bill credits plus tax. If you cancel credit, stop and balance on required finance agreement may be due. Contact us. Qualifying credit and consumer plan required. See details at T-Mobile.com.